Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting Sparks Will Fly as one word, app to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. Amen. You ready? Let's get in the Word this morning to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to try to uh, uh, teach more than uh, preach. This is uh, actually something that I've been looking at for quite a while. And I know the privilege I have is I, I, I've been eating on this for, for some time now. And then I just come in here and just boom, just sling it out, you know, real fast and expect everybody to grasp it in 45 minutes. What I've been eating on for uh, several weeks and, and some of this is even months. But I want to go, I'm, I'm actually uh, going to, uh, I feel like the Lord gave me some direction on this. And John, maybe help me out with uh, maybe that deputy keys or whatever. I just like to have music playing. I'm just that kind of guy. Um, uh, what I use on Wednesday night. And so... I guess this was at the end of September, maybe the very beginning of October, that I had a dream, and um, um, and so I just I want to tell you this, man. I think that how many how many how many has has had an increase of dreams, or you want to have dreams? Uh, is, is everybody all right? Y'all going y'all going y'all going yawn it out or something with me now? So uh, how many's had an increase in your dreams, or or you whatever? I was talking to, tonight. We're going to leave. Um, uh, I'm going to go to Little Wissy this afternoon, but but when Emily and Mark was here, she began to share some dreams uh, with us uh, while we were we were having lunch at the cabin, and she shared this dream with us that um, I'm on. I, they're watching it online, and I'm gonna mess it all up. But basically, she was she was boarding this cruise ship, and she wanted to go see uh, the whole cruise ship, but. Um, they basically were just, she said that uh, there were two people with her that wanted to just stay into the room, uh, stay into the in this one small area or whatever. Anyhow, in the dream, she was asked about a lamp and she was asked about a black, uh, a black diamond. And so we were sitting around the table, you know, was trying to look at her dream or whatever. Was she, I talked to her, um, what night was that? On Friday night, fr- Friday night. And so listen to this about this dream. So she was riding and she found three signs in an area in their city that's got black diamonds on them. And so she began to look at this and she got a phone call and she found out that in this area there was a church called Jones Creek. And in the 1700s, her great-great-grandfather planted that church and that community. Man, ain't that amazing, man, how God, I feel the Lord just come all over me, man. And her grandfather was named Moses. And um, so anyhow, in the picture, there's a shadow box hanging on this, this old historic building. And it said before there was any electricity, remember she was asked about the lamp. There was, a, there was the lamp in front of the pulpit lighting the way. And man, I'm just telling you, God's just up to something, man. I'm telling you, I really feel like the Lord is just trying to recover some things. Even though, you know, that we, we've been discouraged or maybe a lot of people's just losing hope. But I'm telling you, man, the Lord is still, he's still building what he wants to build. If we'll just get our heads up in the, into the cloud of glory and get his perspective on it. So in this, I was given a dream at the end of September 
early October, I was in a restaurant with a group of people. Um, and so we were actually poking fun. I was poking fun with, with, with a couple of people in the dream about this very small, it looked like almost like a, uh, a mini bike, if you will. It was a little bitty motorcycle. And, um, but the person who had the motorcycle had it like it was a Harley. And I'm like, man, that's no Harley. That's a little bitty bike, you know. And so we were cutting up like that. And so then the dream shifts and I walk outside. And as I walk outside, you've heard me share a little bit about this dream, that uh, I see an Airbus, an American Lines Airbus, and I hear the roar of that jet. And it hits the ground and it turns into a dump truck and turns right. And then what comes out of my mouth after that is that I was aware, I, I, I just became aware of two shelves in my house that had uh, fishing poles. And in the dream, I could see the poles. Some were small, some were long, some looked like fly rods, some looked like little small panfish rod and reels. They all had brand new line, they all had lures on them, and they were ready to fish. I knew immediately when I was dreaming this that the Lord was speaking to me about ministry gifts where Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. So this morning, I want to talk from the subject of, of, um, of just born on purpose for a purpose. How many knows that everybody in this room has a gifts and a call on your life? Not just the ones that stand on the stage. Everyone in this room is called. So let's look at this in Ephesians chapter 3. In uh, verse 10, uh, verse Ephesians chapter 2, I'll get it right in a minute. All right, I'm going out of the Passion Translation. All right, let's just start in verse 7 because it just helps me where this is broken down out in the Passion. One of the things that I believe the Lord was speaking to me in that dream was that the reason why I saw the airplane coming in is, is, is there's some things going to come into this house. The reason why I saw the dump truck, there's some things going to be dumped out of the house. But, but, but immediately as I saw it turn into the dump truck and as it was dumping out of the house, God was reminding me what I have on the shelf that you've not even realized. So my job over the next a few weeks and maybe into the coming months into the first of the year is to really try to train and equip what I saw on that shelf in the dream. You with me? All right, so let's get with it. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 says this, Throughout the coming ages, we will be visibly... We, throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limit, limitless riches of his grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Jesus Christ. For it was only through the wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. For it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. No one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works of human, of human striving. Look at verse 10. We have become his poetry. Man, I love the passion's language in this. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. Notice that he didn't say he's given a destiny to platform gifts. 
I'm going to go through this today because we have exalted platform gifts in the church and everybody wants to be on the platform. Let me just say this. I will show us in, the, in a minute that the gifts that are seen up here are not the most important in the body. That's not what the body, that's not what the Bible teaches. Now, we thank God for the fivefold ministry gifts, those that sing, those that worship, all of these things. But Paul placed more emphasis and more importance on the unseen parts of the body. Come on now. How many knows what allows us to function the way we do as though that labor in prayer? Come on now. All right. Just look at this. But he says, we have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny as given to each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned and advanced our destiny. Watch out now. Look at this. Even before we were born, God planned and advanced our destiny and the good works we would do to the, the, the good works we would we would do to fulfill it. Now, we're saved by grace first to be someone, a child of God, right? You're saved first by grace to be someone, and we are equally empowered by the same grace to do something. So biblical grace is not just a picture of the biblical grace is not just a picture of uh, is unmerited favor, but it is also the empowerment of God to, for us to accomplish what we do. You with me? So anything that we do should overflow out of who we are. You've got to be something. You've got to be someone first before you do. You're a human being, not a human doing, okay? But a doing flows out of being. This is how all ministry is to flow. It's an overflow of personal relationship with God. I love the quote that I read by Brendan Mann, and he said that preaching, uh, preaching is simply just one's own contemplated thoughts in the presence of God. That's all it is. It's an overflow of that. So let's look at Psalms 139, 16. I'm going to read this for you right here. Pull that down just a little bit. Psalms 139, 16 says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. How many knows there's a book that God has about your life and he's got an expectation for you to accomplish? Y'all with me in this room? Your assignment is not just to go to church and hear someone preach the gospel. Your assignment is to figure out what am I on the earth to do? What has God gifted me with? What has God called me for? And you get that activated into your life. You with me? All right. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God designed things for us to do before you were born. Before you ever showed up. That tells me that no one is here by accident. You with me? No one's here by accident. Regardless of how you got here, no one's here by accident. All right? Notice that verse 10 says in the New King James, where I'm going to read it again right here in verse uh, uh, in, the, in the Passion. It says, we become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us for we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. The, King, the New King James says the works that we should walk in them. It doesn't say we would, but it says we should. Look at your neighbor and say, it's up to me to develop me. Come on now. Well, I'm just not being fed anymore. That's hogwash, y'all. Come on, now that's nursery stuff. 
Listen, my children, when they were very small and could not reach up on the counter, we had to go feed them. But I can promise you this, if, if Asher, who is nine years old, if we forget to feed him, he knows where the refrigerator is. He knows where, he knows where the cupboard is. Are you with me now? He knows how to get some spaghetti and meatballs and throw it in a bowl and put it in the microwave. Are you with me now? So this stuff of I'm not being fed, listen, no, you are responsible for your own growth and development. You with me? So it's just like this. We put our kids in a classroom and a kid starts failing. And here's the thing. In our society today, we blame it on the teacher. But if we got one child that is walking in success in that classroom, it's not the teacher's fault. It's the child's. <laughs> we don't like this kind of stuff. But I thought, the pre- it was, I thought it was just for me to go to church and it's the preacher's job to train me. Man, if all you get is what you get on Sunday morning, you're very weak. Come on, somebody. The Bible says he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God's mercies are new every day. God wants to feed us constantly from the word of God. And it's up to me to develop that relationship and learn how to at that place to eat. Notice that he said we should walk in it, but it doesn't mean that everybody will. So it is up to me to develop. And I wrote right here, gifts are free, but maturity is costly. Your gifts are free, but if you want to be mature in your gifting, it is very costly. Now, Tommy Teeny wrote a book that was very powerful in the 90s. It was really prophetic to lay the groundwork into the decades where we're getting called the God Chasers. How many members that book? My God. I mean, it's unbelievable. I think I still have, we have several copies back there at the back. But that book highly impacted me as a teenager. Man, I devoured it. I remember my pastor standing up every Wednesday night preaching each chapter of that book in the church. It was just a very uh, a powerful book. And he wrote a story in this book about a man uh, by the name of Tara. Uh, I'm probably mispronouncing that, so don't just, you know, say about this guy named Tara. T E A R H. Who knows who Tara was? In Genesis, uh, I believe it's in Genesis chapter 11. Let me see this. I, no. Yeah, Genesis chapter 11. This is Abraham's dad. Now think about him. Abraham's dad. Here's a voice tell him he picks up and he leaves everything of his father's household and he starts going to the land of Canaan. There's only two verses in there. It says that he that he left his country for the land of Canaan, but he came to Haran and he dwelt there. And the next verse said he died in Haran. Could it be that God tried to start something in Tara's life that he would be called the father of faith? But because he did not develop what God told him, come on now, he laid it on the shelf. This is what we do with prophecy. If Jess gets up here and prophesies something great in your life, you cannot just camp out on it and say, well, God said it, it's going to happen. No, you have to work that into your life. You have to begin to take that word and make war with it. You have to begin to adjust your life so that so that we can, we can, we can work the word, if you will. So he gets to this place. He heads out on this journey. Uh, uh, to, to leave everything, you got to think, he didn't have no social media. He didn't have an internet to pull up to see how good the land of Canaan went. He's moving off an of instinct of what he feels like God is telling him. He takes out on the journey. He gets halfway there. He settles for this place called Haran or Haran. He settles for that, and he dies in that. How many people, man, come on, y'all, how many people with great destinies, great ability, settle for way less than what you're called to because, listen, 
because of things that come in either discouragement or either laziness, whatever it is, lethargicness comes in and we stop short of where God called us to do. So what does, what does God do? God reaches right back into that family line and tells Abraham, get out from under your family. Get away from your father's house. Go into a land that I'll show you. So Abraham gets the blessing of the father of faith that he could have. Come on, somebody. He could have. His dad could have got it, but what kept him from walking in that is he stopped in Haran. He just stopped short. Are you with me now? All right. As regard to our calling, we will not be judged on what we do, on what we did, but rather what we are called to do. Now, how many knows this? The Bible says that God shall wipe away every tear that comes out of our eyes. And religion has told us that, that we're going to look and see Uncle Joe who didn't make it in the kingdom, and we're going to look over there and weep over Uncle Joe. Let me tell you what we will weep over. When we stand before the Lord, he's going to highlight your potential. He's going to highlight what you could have been accomplished on the earth. And when you see that, then he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. Let us not be that group of people. Come on, y'all. Let us see what God has for our lives. Spend every day investing in that. If we invest invest in the flesh, we shall die. Come on, somebody. But if we invest in the spirit, we shall live. That is where we want the full investment to go. All right. So what is done? Grace has saved you and grace has empowered you. You did not earn it. It was given to you when? When you were born again. Right? Before you entered into the earth, God had what? A book with your chapter in it. And he's got an expected in. All right. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I'm just going to read this for the sake of time, okay? Because I got a lot of stuff I want to cover. I'm just trying to lay a groundwork for where I'm going to be hanging out at the next little bit. Grace not only saves us, but it empowers us. Listen to this again. Biblical grace is not only God's gift of salvation, but it is the empowerment for our lives. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is all you need, for my power is greatest when you are weak. Grace empowers us to, do, to go beyond our natural ability. Let me say this. Your assignment from heaven will supersede your natural ability to accomplish it. Come on now. If you're a businessman, you'll be amazed at the places that God has you at. You know in your own strength there's no way you can be here. I hear Danny talk about it all the time. There's no way I can compete with a Harvard graduate or a Yale graduate. Come on, somebody. But what makes the difference is God's grace, his empowerment on your life. You and God is the majority in the room. Come on now. He said, my strength is made great. What? In your weakness. So what God has for your life is well beyond your ability to make it happen on your own. If you could make it happen in your own gifting, in your own talent, in your own strength, you would not need him, and he's not the author of that. God will always command you to do what you can't do on your own. He will always take 5,000 men, not counting women and children, and look at them and say, you give them something to eat. Peter said, are you kidding me? 200 denario wouldn't he? be enough money to buy bread to feed all these people. He said, but you feed them. How many knows they had no natural ability nor anything in their own might or strength, the ability to feed that many people, right? But God will always command you to do something that goes beyond your ability. So if you're, if, if you're, if you're like this saying, God, there's no way that I can get that done, it's probably God talking to you. Huh? God will say, get up and go to Africa. 
when you got $3 in your pocket. How many's ever heard of Amy Simple McPherson? She's in God's generals. She showed up to Anaheim, California with $10 and built that up, built that up, a place where the Dream Center is now with $10. How many knows that it wasn't her ability, it wasn't her gifting, it was God's empowerment grace upon her life? All right? Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Paul says this language. He says, I've worked harder than any other apostle. Although it was not really my own doing, but God's grace working with me, Paul tapped into wisdom and rest in the Lord's grace. Notice what he said. Man, it's an arrogant statement seemingly. I worked more than every one of them. I outworked Apollos. I outworked everybody. But he says it wasn't I. What? It wasn't I. But what? The empowerment grace was upon my life that enabled me to what? Work harder. This word work harder doesn't mean that he just simply outworked them. It means he had a greater functionality in what he was doing. I had more impact in what I was doing than anybody else because of God's grace upon my life. Other words, the same people were competing with the same contracts I was, but I worked harder than anybody because God's empowerment grace gave me the greater ability. Come on, y'all. What if people really believe this every day that you walked up and you went on your job really believing that God was with you, really believing that God was for you? Come on, somebody. All right. I worked harder than anybody else. Listen to this. I want to say it again. So where are we at right here? I'm not the best teacher in the world, but I'm doing my, trying to do my best. Grace not only saves us, but it empowers us, okay? The grace is all you need for His powers made perfect, strong in your weakness. And your destiny with which God prepared for you is beyond your natural ability. God intentionally made your calling beyond your natural ability so that you would have to depend on His grace to fulfill it. I all the time feel overmatched and underprepared. But I always lean on God. I never ask for any of this. You ask me to go on the journey. And if you ask me, I'm simply standing in your faith and your goodness. And I'm asking you to come through for me. Are you with me now? Now listen to this. Look at your neighbor and say, we all have gifts. Romans 12. Let's read this out of Romans 12. Go to Romans chapter 12. Help us, Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 12. Verse 6, God's marvelous grace imparts to each one of us. You, re you with me? You reading this? God's marvelous grace imparts to each one of us varying gifts and ministries that are uniquely ours. You with me? So if God has given you the grace gift of prophecy, you must activate your gift by using the proportion of your faith you have to prophesy. How do you activate the gift? By faith. How many times Pastor Dale said this, that God would highlight to him to call somebody out? Which people get nervous about that in the charismatic church. He could call me out. <laughs> you with me? 
and he would not have a clue what he was going to say to that person until they got right in front of him or near him, God would cut the light on. What is he doing? He's activating by faith, by willing to call them out without hearing nothing. All he knows is God said, call them out. This is how we activate the gift, by faith. You with me? We were, we were someone, I was, I was meeting with a leader this week, and so he asked me this. He said, John, you know, how many, how many, um, he's talking about like Bethel activating people in their gifts and all. And I said, well, I've been through a, a couple of prophetic activations. And one of the prophetic activations we went to is what we would do is we would take about 15 people because you really don't want to do more than 15 people. We would take a chair and we would set this chair down up front. We would tell everybody in the room, we would just just activate it by faith according to the word of God. Jeremiah 1 says that God stretched out his hand and touched his mouth. So we would claim that verse of scripture. In Jeremiah chapter 1, God stretched forth your hand and touched my mouth. The Bible says we can all prophesy. Is that not I'm in the book? It doesn't mean all prophets, but it says we can all prophesy. Paul said it like this to the Corinthian church. When you come together, I would rather you all prophesy than speak in tongues. Because if any man speaks in an unknown tongue, he edifies himself, right? But if a man prophesy and gives prophecy out, thus the secrets of his heart are revealed and the church is edified. And, and so the church, some church thinks that the secrets of his heart means the dark secrets. God's not in the business of unveiling your dark secrets unless you continue to run against him. Are you with me now? God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. So God will deal with you in the secret place. Are you with me now? But if you can't hear his voice in the secret place, he'll, rise up, he'll raise up Nathan to come see you and say that thou art the man. Are you with me now? So the prophecy, what is it doing? It is revealing the secret that was written in God's book before you ever showed up on the earth that is covered up by insecurity, failure, rejection, and all of these things that keep us back in fear, that hold us back from operating in the call. So we would simply say in this room, we would get 20 people, and we would pray, God, by faith, we're going to pull a, pull a demand on heaven. I love Mike Tucker. If you know him at, uh, over in St. Simons, he just this this just this gentle man, and he'll say, we're going to put a demand on heaven. Man, when is the church going to put a demand on heaven? Come on, somebody. I mean, is heaven real or it ain't? We put a demand on heaven. So what we would do is we would put a person in the chair up here. We would tell the people, you're going to lean down and give them one word, one word only. Not know this long sentence, you give them one word what you hear about their life. I'm telling you, after, after just going through that, when the person gets done in the chair, the person's writing down everything that you say, and we give a little gap there. Then we just, the next person in line gets in the chair. You would be amazed at how accurate that is about your life just by doing that little prophetic activation. We can all prophesy. All right, you with me? Now look at this. In Romans, go back to Romans 12. God's marvelous grace imparts to each one of us varying gifts and ministries that are uniquely ours. Notice he did not say that God's grace imparts to fivefold leaders. He didn't say that. He didn't say that God's grace imparts to worship leaders. He didn't say that God's grace imparts to singers. He said God's grace imparts to who? Each of us. Each of us. The Greek word for gift 
is where we get the word charisma. It is a specific endowment of grace that empowers an individual with a special ability. This ability is actually divine capability that God entrusted to an individual, and it always exceeds mainstream natural ability. Now, one of the things that I love about prophetic people is just to tell you about his see. I see, I see, and I, I don't move in the seeing room. Very seldom do I see. When I move prophetically, I have a divine impression. I just know it. I don't know how I know it, but I know it. But it, it, the seer is not greater than, than the one that's impressions. We just need to figure out how God's speaking to us. And every, you, you just begin to say, hey, I'm really a guy that moves in impressions. Well, what do you do? You begin, to, you begin to move in that area and begin to sharpen that gift of how God moves in impressions. If you see, you sharpen your seer gift. You with me now? If you're a singer, you cultivate your singing gift. If you got a gift to preach, you cultivate that gift. If you have a, a gift in business, cultivate that gift. You with me? We are, God's given each one of us a gift. So the word gift is charisma. Is it a, it's a specific endowment of grace that empowers an individual with a special ability. This ability actually, it actually is a divine capability that God entrusted to an individual, and it always exceeds mainstream natural ability. Now, everybody that has a gift doesn't mean they'll use it for God. I'll get to that in a minute. All right, now, I have... I remember, I'm going back in my own life in the 90s when I felt like the Lord had called me to preach. First of all, my mom didn't call me to preach. I did not know that I was called to preach because somebody told me to preach first. I heard a voice call me. You with me now? There's a lot of self-appointments. But I'm talking about, I, I heard a voice. I had an encounter with God. Are you with me now? I would say this, every platform gift needs and is a must to have your own encounter with God. If you can't point to your own encounter, you're not going to make it in the days ahead. I'm just telling you this. I had an encounter with the Lord on multiple occasions that led me to the point that I believe I was called to preach. There were several that in our church that was also called to preach. Not all, not all was gifted the same. Not all had the same, same gifting or the same function or whatever. But I remember when I started out preaching, I preached about five times and I would be so nervous that my knees would rattle the platform, uh, rattle the pulpit. I'm still nervous after 20 years. I still, just like Matt, ask God every Sunday morning or every time I touch a microphone, God, please anoint me and please come through. Are you with me now? Because it's the Holy Spirit at work that's feeding the people. Come on, y'all. All, all my job is to do is to put it in. The Holy Spirit is the one feeding. God will take a T-bone steak and throw it to a mature line, and he'll cut it off and put it in nuggets for a child to be able to eat it. He is the one that feeds the people. But it didn't take me long and, and staying by my leadership. I remember the first time that I got the opportunity to open up a service in front of Pastor Dale. I was probably, maybe I was 21 maybe. And so, man, I packed about the most you could ever get in a mini sermonette in taking up offering. <laughs> I mean, I throwed it out there like lightning bolts. And I, I'll never forget going back to sit down and Pastor Dale coming to him. He said, he said, uh, he said I believe you can preach, son. I was like, are you kidding me, man? I'm, you know, whatever. <clears throat> but... In my gifting, I know my own limitations and I know where my strengths are. 
let me say this. You as an individual are not only your strengths, you are also your weaknesses. So to be successful, you got to pull people around you that can help you with the weakness that you have. Are you with me? And then you function off the strengths you have. All right? Now, let's look at this right here. Romans 12, 3 and 5. Let's go right back up. God has given me a grace to speak a warning about pride. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance. Listen to this. Instead, honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement, and then you will see your true value with appropriate self-esteem. Now, here's what we... Well, I'm gifted, Pastor. Well, great. Gifts are free. Maturity are costly. Let's see how much you want to develop it. Everybody wants to get in the game. Nobody wants to practice. Come on, y'all. You know what? I, I was watching a TED Talk one day, and this guy was teaching about professionals, whether it's a professional athlete, whether it's a professional physician, whatever it is. And you know what? One of the definitions he gave of the meaning of a professional, the a professional has the ability to do his self-development. In other words, he don't have to be prodded and poked where you read. Don't tell me that you called to preach and your library got three books in it. Well, I'm going to try to read. I've read three books this week. Veron Ash, when he, when he took, he took this young preacher to a bookstore. And this was Veron preaching, and he said this, you can't find nothing in a Christian bookstore. Let's go to Books a Million or whatever. So he gets there, and he says he's been in there for a couple of hours. He said he goes back, and he finds this young preacher. He's sitting down at the table looking at the comic section. And Veron had got about $500 worth of books. And he told him, he said, that's a prophetic picture of your ministry. It's just going to be comical. That's hard language, ain't it? Now, let me say this. He said, get a true assessment. Y'all right? Get a true assessment of your gift. Now, how many's ever watched The Voice or, or um, what is it? Um, America's Got Talent. And these people come in the room to sing in front of Simon. How did they, I, my question is, how did they make it this far in life only to be rejected by that? That's not a true assessment of your life. Everybody you had around you said you can sing. If you think you can sing, listen to it on tape. Oh, yeah, yes, Jesus. Because we in here worshiping on the ether. Come on, y'all. We worshiping the Holy Spirit's helping us. You know what I'm saying? I'm told my own self. I mean, there's nobody going to listen to me that's not from the South. You can't even understand me. That's why I'm not preaching up in, the, in, the, in Michigan, in New York. You know what I'm saying? We'd have to have a translator. Are you with me now? If you think you can sing, listen to yourself on tape. And it, what would happen is sometimes it would, we would get a quick assessment. Hey, I'm really not that great of a singer. Now, let me tell you where we struggled with this. Cleveland, we often talk about this. I came to this church in 2013. At the time, Grant was uh, about to turn 10 years old. I got here a month before his 10th birthday. 
Well, when Grant was nine years old, I thought I had the next Chipper Jones, and you couldn't tell me no different. Just like most people with kids that play sports. I mean, Johnny is Johnny's three, three foot nine and, and, and 90 pounds in the eighth grade going to his freshman year, and he can't bench press 85 pounds. I will give you a clue. Johnny is not going to make it on the varsity team. Man, it's quiet up in here. Huh? So my question is, who do we have on us that is cutting us? That's being honest about our gift. John, you do have a gift of revelation. You do, you can't, you can preach, but your body language has got to change, son, because that's killing your message with your body language. This is true assessments of the gift we have, which is why we bring coaching and leadership into our life. And a God-called leader that is to your life will not tell you everything's rosy red. They will be honest with you. And the honest assessment is what will determine maturity in your life. 1 John 4, he goes through the list. What is a false prophet? What is a false pastor? What is a false teacher? What is a false worship leader? It is those that isolate themselves outside of community. And he said, you know us because you hear our voice. You can listen to leadership. When leadership says, hey, you might want to try something else besides speaking because you can't speak very well. I had a guy that his, his whole time when I was young in ministry, he was going to be a preacher. Well, you called his house and his answer machine come on and it was like, hello. And you go to talking, then it come on, we're not here right now. And I, I just had to be honest with him. I said, man, listen here. God is not calling you to the pulpit ministry. Now, you're very good at evangelizing one-on-one. -on -one, but you know what? I'm not great at evangelizing one-on-one. -on -one. It takes a team. Come on, somebody. Everybody can't quarterback. Everybody can't be a right tackle. Everybody can't play shortstop. Come on now. So what I had to do was take an honest assessment of my son. And realize, hey, he's probably not Chipper Jones. But how many people, I'm just telling you, I've seen this over in the church world and I've seen it in the sports world. When it takes someone like, like, like this, here it goes like this. Let me just tell you how we as parents talk. Man, this is the dumbest coach I've ever seen in my life. Johnny is, Johnny's an all-star. He's been all-star every year. That's because his daddy coached the league and won the league. Oh, man, come on. I ain't going to get no help off of this. Johnny's an all-star, and this coach, if he wanted to win, he'd put Johnny in there. If the coach is making his living by winning, don't you think he's got the best that's on the field, whether it's my son or your son? Come on now. And we've got to get to the place where if Johnny's not, if Johnny's in there on the bench keeping the charts, he's just as valuable keeping the charts as the man is out there fielding the ball or putting the ball in the gap. It's called a team. And there's no I in team. Team is about us. We move together. Come on, somebody. All right. So we bring an honest assessment to the gift we have. I have to honestly access my singing. I cannot sing, but I love to sing. And the greatest place that I'm the greatest singer at is when I'm by myself in the cabin worshiping God, not on a CD. Are you with me now? All right, listen to this. So we bring an honest assessment. Don't think you better than you really are. Honestly assess the gifts that you have in your life. Happy and blessed is the person who knows that their gifts and operates in them. Happy and blessed is the person who knows their gifts and operates in them. 
Miserable and stressed is the person who tries to operate in someone else's gift. You with me? All right. I'm trying to see where we're going to go. We got a little time. Man, it's 1130. We, we, we good. 1 Corinthians 12, 22 says, In fact, the weaker our parts, the vital and more essential they are. Now, let me, let me go right here. I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to show you this right here that the Lord has shown me that I've never seen this out of Luke, uh, out of, uh, Luke 19, and I want, I want to take you here. Now, what we've done in the church, we've stressed out, hey, if you gifted, you gifted, um, we, we want the platform gifts, so we devalue every other gift. But how many knows that there's people in there, there's, there's, there's someone in this room today that I was just telling him the other day who built this pulpit. And when he built this pulpit, he, he wrote a letter to me in that pulpit, and I just read it not too long ago. But every piece, when this man built this pulpit, according to his letter, he said, I prayed specifically over every piece, over every weld, everything that I created on that pulpit. But I told him, I told him before this, I said, God has gifted you as a Bezalel. I may have a gift to see it, but you have a gift to build it. Come on, somebody. You may have the ability to see a dream home, but you can't create it. But that man can create your dream home if you just tell him what you want to see. He has a God gift to build inside of him. Are you with me now? That gift is that I'm just trying to show us. The gift that he has to build, the gift that he has to engineer and weld is the same gift that I have that I'm preaching with this morning. It is the same grace operating on me, operating on him to build. It is the same grace operating on you to be a nurse, to walk in that room and change the atmosphere and speak faith into that patient. Come on, somebody, and be able to console them and be able to tell them everything's all right. It is the same grace. It is the same grace when Cindy walks into your house and empties your wallet but makes your house look amazing. It's the same grace. Are you with me now? It's the same grace that's on Clay when he's changing gears, running up down 75, praying for a move of God. Come on, son. It's the same grace. We cannot. If the church just had platform gifts, we would be the most miserable, And it's, which is why we have not discipled nations is because we put all the emphasis on the platform gifts. The same grace that is enabling me to preach the gospel in this room is the same grace that is on her life to walk in that third grade classroom in the morning and say, boys and girls, open your books to page 55. Let's work on division. Now, look at this. When Jesus came, look at this in Luke 19 when he shows up this city. Y'all right? All right. I've never seen this right here, and I've read this chapter at least two times in my life. Cutting up on that. All right. Y'all right? Look at your neighbor say, we all got gifts. We got to give an honest assessment, and the gifts that you should desire are not just platform gifts. We are overloaded with preachers. I'm telling you, we overloaded with preachers. Especially with the internet, we are drowned in voices. All right. I won't really just really just get honest right there. We got we'll have 15 churches with 20 people in it. With a, out of the 20, maybe 16 can communicate behind the pulpit. Why don't they just all put that together and learn how to build a team and put some strong package together with the strongest leader running? I might have to quit. All right, look at this. Luke 19. 
In the city of Jericho, there lived a very wealthy man named Zacchaeus, who was the supervisor, look at this, of over all the tax collectors. Who was this? A very wealthy man. He's not broke. He's a very wealthy man. Look at him. And now what is he doing? He's the tax collector. You know the whole town thought he was a crook. Because in the south, if anybody's wealthy, they crooked. Man, come on, y'all. Huh? I eat crooked. <laughs> there was in the city of Jericho and lived a wealthy man named Zacchaeus who was the supervisor over all the tax collectors. Jesus made his way through the city. Zacchaeus was eager to see Jesus. He kept trying to get a look at him, but the crowd around him was massive. Zacchaeus was a very short man and couldn't see over the heads of the people. So he ran ahead of everyone, climbed up in a blossoming fig tree so that he could get a glimpse of Jesus as he passed by. When Jesus got to that place, he looked up into the tree and said, Zacchaeus, hurry on down, for I'm appointed to stay at your house today. You'd think Jesus would want to be appointed to stay at the, pre, at the pastor's house. Where's he at? He's going to stay with a man named Zacchaeus, who is a wealthy man. Look at this. And who is this what? Supervisor over all the tax collectors in the region. Look at this. So he, he scurried down the tree and came face to face with Jesus. As Jesus left to go with Zacchaeus, many in the crowd complained. Look at this. Of all people to have dinner with, he's going to eat in the house of a crook. Man, I love this. Zacchaeus joyously welcomed Jesus and amazed over his gracious visit to his home. Zacchaeus stood in front of the Lord and said, Half of all that I own, I will give it to the poor. And the Lord, if I've cheated anyone, I promise to pay back four times as much as I stole. Jesus said to him, This shows today that life has come to you and your household, for you are the true son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek out and to give life to those who are lost. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Why was Jesus interested in going to a man named Zacchaeus' house to have lunch with him? Why didn't he go meet with the religious people? Now, here's what I want to tell you. Because we have emphasized platform gifts, this is where most of our attention's been, and we have not had the attention on the marketplace, which is where most people spend the majority of their lives is in the marketplace. Now, this ain't some marketplace guy that was making $10 an hour at the bottom of the rung. Jesus went right to the head guy in the region of the marketplace. And he, after he changed Zacchaeus, what happened? He affected everything in that region that was hooked to Zacchaeus. There's people that God wants to raise up, I'm telling you, in this room, in the marketplace that can affect people in high places. Are you with me now? And when you affect them, if you change their life, you change everyone that is connected to him. If there was crooked stuff going on in the tax collecting business after his encounter with Jesus, he came back and called everybody in as a regional director and said, let me tell you something. I've made some mistakes in the past. We have charged John too much in taxes and we need to repent of it. In the name of the Lord. I'm just getting excited right there. But Anyhow, listen, now we won't do this. This is what we're going to adjust. We're fixing to adjust this business. Where we've not honored God, we're going to honor God with our wealth now from now on. We're going to make sure the money's going to the mission field. We're going to make sure we're taking care of the orphans and widows. And it changed the entire region. 
Are you with me now? This is the power of the marketplace. If I go meet with a principal and we, or the superintendent and something happens in his life, it affects the whole school system. Instead of just trying to go into one little old biscuit meeting at 7 o'clock in the morning and affect four people, we affect the entire school system with one meeting. This is, by the way, how we're going to disciple nations. This is how the leaven is going to be hidden, uh, hidden in a measure of meal to change everything around it. This is how we're going to do it. Y'all right? All right. Let's go right here. I'm, I'm trying to get right here and we'll be done. All right. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Every believer has received grace gifts. Notice what he said. Every believer. Not every preacher. I'm just trying to tear that down in the room. I, how many members this? If you've been in this house for a long time, how many members, Steve, you might remember this. You remember when Pastor Keith had the race car? He was going to race on Sunday. Remember when he had Pastor Dale to go out there and pray for the race car? And I remember Pastor Dale saying, hey, man, you want me to pray over this race car that you ain't going to be in church with on Sunday? You're going to be out there need more. <laughs> you remember that? I remember Pastor Dale saying, I ain't, I ain't want to pray for no race car. But he said that Pastor Keith broke down. Talking about the, that he was racing for the glory of God. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to figure Huh? Every time this car goes around the track with the scripture that's on the side of it, it's evangelizing the gospel. Come on. This is the reason why we can't catch no fish. We stay in this little aquarium trying to bring them down here to the church. Y'all come down here to the church. To come down here to the church. When is the church going to be equipped to go out at where they at and bring change? Come on, somebody. To bring wisdom into thinking. Say, my God, why are y'all thinking like that? We're not limited to a natural realm. We're supernatural beings. Come on now. All right. So, so he had to expand his thinking. Man, I ask God to anoint me everything I do. When I'm on the bow of that boat, God, I love Monday. Man, see, that makes people mad right there. We were in Jessup. There was a man by the name of Cliff Miles. He'd get on the golf course about every day. He'd set his ball up. Father, I thank you for this round today. I thank you just for the revelation that I'm going to receive out here in this open air while I'm just enjoying this game of golf. I thank you for downloading revelation. Come on, y'all. We got to get out of this religious aquarium that we in. Think that we can only get it up in here in the church. Come on, somebody. I've seen God speak to me on the sunrise while I'm hanging off of a tree waiting on a deer to come in. Come on now. God wants us to live, move, and have our being in him. While we're sitting in the restaurant praying over the meal, we pray like this. Father, I thank you for this great meal that I'm about to eat. God, if you want to do anything in this restaurant, I'm open for business right here. Just speak to me. All right. Look at this. Each one of us, each one of us has received grace gifts. So use them to serve one another as faithful stewards of the many colored ta tapestry of God's grace. Use them for what? Use them for what? Serving. All right. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, look at this. And look at your neighbor and say, we all got them. You got something. I don't know what it is, but you got a gift. 
and you got a home down on it. You with me? And if you hang out in the river long enough, if you start bearing oranges, we're going to recognize orange trees. I re- when I was pastoring, uh, uh, by my fourth year of pastoring, as a senior pastor, I had this lady come up and tell me. And she just really got under my skin. Finally, I just had to tell her the truth. Real love is to tell you the truth. huh? Not just speak what they want to hear. I had to get honest with this person. She said, I've been in this church now for 12 months. She said, you're the fourth pastor that won't recognize the gift on my life. I said, ma'am, if you done been to four other places and they didn't see it and I can't see it, maybe that gift is not on your life. Maybe you should try something else. Well, what do you think happened? The script, you think, here's what happened. She got up and wrote another tie check because she was wrong. Wrong. She took her ball and went to the house. Where is she at today? Still trying to do something for the Lord. That's been a decade ago. We all have received grace gifts to what? Serve one another. The first place that God will plant you is in a family. In a family is where we learn how to operate our gift. In the family, you could stand up and preach about Moses taking Jericho. Huh? You preach about Joshua. Joshua building that boat. And when Joshua opened the side of that boat, the people of God ran to the boat. It's in the family that we can do that. God plants us in a family when when we're immature so that the family can love us and bring strength and nourishment around us. Come on now. The family when we prophesy... We prophesy like this. The lady said to Bishop Bill Hammond that they were in this training seminar and the lady prophesied. She said, hear me, saith the Lord. I know things are hard, but hear me, saith God. I'm barely making it myself. (laughs) You don't want to be on the circuit prophesying like that. Hold on, God ain't barely making it. You just made that up. That ain't God. So in the family, we can say, we bring them back to the side. Hey, listen. We don't tear the person apart. We don't reject the person. We reject the word. We bring them to the side and say, listen, hey, that was good. I love the way you stepped out on faith right there. But after about five seconds, you left heaven and you ended up in the flesh. Here's the other side of that, that we don't want to be afraid to be in the flesh that we never obey God. Because you're going to be in the flesh till Jesus comes. you got to start in the flesh. You start by faith. Come on, somebody. When Catherine a lot of time dances across the front of this room, it's not because she feels the Shekinah glory of God to wave a flag. She's trying to break something in the realm of the Spirit. David danced before the Lord with all his might. Come on. And as he did what he knew to do, God did the rest. We're going to be in the flesh. We activate it by faith. And if you're going to prophesy moving any gifting of God by faith, you're going to miss it from time to time. All right. So look at this. Y'all all right? If I preach... Hold on, where am I? Right, listen to Paul right here. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. If I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast for necessity is laid upon me. Look what he says. Yes, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with stewardship. 
man. This word woe is me is defined as a disaster or a horror. It is akin to Paul calling a curse on himself if he does not preach. Listen to this. It is a severe matter to neglect your God-given gift. I remember this listening to Larry Randolph. How many knows who Larry Randolph is? Prophet of God. Genesis 4.10 says this. Yahweh said to Cain, your brother's blood crying up from the ground. If you read that in Hebrew, the blood outside of the human body is always in plural form. Not blood, but bloods. It doesn't read, your blood crieth out from the ground. It reads in Hebrew, your bloods are crying out from the ground. Why? Because when God created Abel, he didn't just create a gift in him. He created something that was in his life that would touch descendants down from him. What I'm telling you, by you neglecting your gift, you're not just shutting the gift down on you. You're shutting the gift down on the people of influence that God called you to reach. That's why the bloods are crying out from the ground. Because when your gift was silent, it stopped with you, and it never reached its potential into the people. So Larry Randolph did a word study on that, and it says the silence of your gift is deafening in my ears. When you are sitting on the sideline watching the games played, the silence of you operating in your gift is deafening in the ears of God. All right. Now, Listen to this. We stored the gift in three ways. Number one, you can use it to build the kingdom. Number two, you can use it to benefit yourself. Number three, you can neglect it by not even using it at all. In 22 years of ministry, me personally, I've seen number two shipwreck more people than anything. Use the gift to benefit yourself. If you're a businessman, notice this. Notice how the language that David, when he raised up Solomon, he said, when you set before kings, consider their, consider their delicacies. When you set before, he didn't say, son, if you ever got a chance to get in front of a king. He's prophesying from a young age. When you set in that place of influence, consider what's around you. Put a knife to your throat if you consider, if you consider that, if you may have given to appetite. All right? So you can use it to benefit yourself, use it to build the kingdom, or whatever. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians 3. I'm going I'm to land this plane in just a minute. I know I've gone over a lot. I've done lost people about 10 minutes ago. But we're going to finish it up right here, okay? Y'all all right? All right. First Corinthians chapter 4. Yeah, verse 3. Then I'm going to back up and read the other verses. Help me here. But personally, I'm not the least bit concerned if I'm judged by you or, or, or any verdict I receive from any human court. In fact, I don't even assume to be my own judge. Look at this. Even though my conscience is clear, but that doesn't mean I stand acquitted before the Lord. For the only judge I care about is Him. So resist the temptation to pronounce premature judgment on anything before the appointed time comes. Look at this. This is, this is serious while we're about to read, y'all. Look at this. For when the, the appointed time, when all will be fully revealed. When is this? At the judgment. Not the great white throne of judgment, at the judgment seat of Christ. Here's the thing. God's going to reveal. Look, what does he say? God's going to fully reveal. Instead, wait until the Lord makes his appearance, for then he will bring all that is hidden 
and darkness to light and unveil every secret motive of everyone's heart. Then, when the whole truth is known, each will receive praise from God. So let me just say this. It's not important what you do, but why you do it. How do, so that means I place myself on the altar of God. Come on, with, you, you with me? Place myself on the altar and say, God, I want to make sure that I'm using my gift to benefit those who you called me to benefit and not use it for myself. Now, what is he talking about here? Look at what he's talking about. Look at verse 1. So you must perceive us not as leaders of factions, but as servants. What? We don't, we don't get over this right here We're in leadership uh, as servants of the anointed one. Those who have been entrusted with God's mysteries, the most important quality, one entrusted with such secrets. What's he talking about? The, one of the gifts on Paul's life was what? The gift of revelation. Because he said, according to the abundance of revelation given to me, there was a thorn put in my side. He's talking about his wife. No, I'm cutting up with you. Man, I'm going to quit. I just got in trouble. Oh, Jesus, forgive me. He said, because of the abundance of revelation given to me, there was a thorn put in my side. I prayed and asked God, God, remove this from me. But he said three times, what? My grace is sufficient. So he said, it's one, one one entrusted with the mysteries. What he's talking about, the revelations of God. He's been entrusted with. What does he say? The most important quality that one can be entrusted with these are what? Being what? Faithful. Look at your neighbor and say, be faithful. Be faithful and trustworthy. All right. I'm, I'm going to land a plane with this. I know I've went over a lot. I've covered a lot of ground. When we think about faithfulness, what do we think about? Loyalty. Being able to track with a long season of time. All of these things, which are important. But I want to show you a new deal to what he's meaning by being faithful. Being faithful is not just loyalty, not being able to walk it out. By the way, God highlights faithfulness in a major way. In Acts chapter 1, when when Judas went and hung himself, they had to give a call in that room. And it says here, but, but to choose a new apostolic leader. And he said, here's the deal though. You must have been with us since the beginning. There was only two people in that room. So think about it. Matthias was chosen, and his name is on the New Jerusalem, on the 12th foundational stone of the New Jerusalem, just because he was faithful. Didn't say what kind, of, what kind of message he preached. Didn't say if he was a great revivalist. He was just faithful. So when we think about faithful, look at this. Now I want to end with this right here in Matthew 25. Y'all all right? I'm going to give you this, and you can go home. All right. Man, I'm going to skip some of this because I want to read you this before we go. Matthew chapter 25. Think of this. What did Paul say the most important part was? Being what? Faithful. All right, let's look at verse 14. Again, heaven's kingdom realm is like the wealthy man who went on a long journey. And summoned his trusted servants and assigned his financial management over to them. Before he left on his journey, he entrusted a bag of 5,000 gold coins to one of his servants, to another a bag of 2,000 gold coins, and to, a, and, and to the third a bag of 1,000 gold coins, each according to his ability to manage. 
The one entrusted with 5,000 gold coins immediately went out and traded with the money. And he doubled his investment. In the same way, the one who was entrusted with 2,000 gold coins traded with them, traded with the sum of money, some and likewise doubled his investment. But the one who had been entrusted with 1,000 gold coins dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After much time had passed, the master returned to settle accounts with his servants. The one who was entrusted with 5,000 gold coins came and brought 10,000, saying, See, I've doubled your money. And what did he do? He, Paul said what? The greatest thing that a person could have when you have gifts is what? Be faithful. Now, look at how Jesus defines faithfulness in this parable. Commending his servant, the master replied, you've done and proven yourself to be loyal and trustworthy because you've been what? A faithful steward to manage a small sum. Now I will put you in charge of much, much more. You will experience the delight of your master who will say to you, come celebrate with me. How does Jesus define faithfulness? The ability to multiply what you've been given. If you, all leadership is measured in this way. What you've been handed and where do you move it to? If you did not move it nowhere, you babysit it and you didn't lead it. Steve says, move to James. Jesus took a guy, gave him 5,000 gold coins. The man took his investment, his gift to him, and doubled it and made 10,000 coins. When Jesus returns to him, he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So faithfulness is tied to the ability to increase and multiply what you've been given. Other words, you can sing and you can lead worship, but you can develop five to ten worship leaders. Other words, you can preach, but you can develop five to ten preachers. It takes time to develop that, by the way. You don't do that in a year or two. You with me? You read God's generals wherever you want to do. And then you look at the preparation time here. A lot of stuff don't happen until you get out of the 30s. Am, am I talking to anybody up in here in the room? You can have all kind of gifted. You with me? You can be gifted and strong in the business arena as a young man. But grown men are not going to listen to boys until you prove yourself amongst those men. That's not going to happen. Men are not moved by boys. Men are looking for men. You with me now? So he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have the ability to multiply what you've been given. This is why God wants you to find what you have. I remember Bob Jones asking John Paul Jackson, how do you interpret the dreams? I don't know, I just do it. That's a sad thing. Because if you don't know how you do what you do, you can't never teach and train someone to do what they do. Are you with me now? So you find your gifting and you begin to craft it. I remember listening to, to Lou Engle. You know, Lou Engle in his late 30s was cutting grass. He's a lawn man. But now because of the national platform, we got people think we're going to hit that at 25. 
You kidding me, man? Huh? But what did he say? I've been cultivating my narrative for years. I found my lane. I know what God's called me. What is the lane God's calling to? God called me as a William Wilberforce to end abortion in America, and that's what I'm selling my life out to. I'm cultivating my lane. You got to find what your message is. What is your call? What is your gift? What is your message? I'm called to preach. Tell me your message. Don't tell me what you've gleaned off the internet. What did God say to you to preach? When I was 20, when I was 19 years old, God appeared to me in a vision in a Ford Dooley in Matthew 25 to store the 10 virgins. And he said, go tell the church to get on fire. When the first leader recognized the call of God on my life, here was the prophetic word. From this day forward, you shall preach the word with fire because I'll baptize you in fire. That's why fire's been with me since I was a teenager. I didn't get it out of a book. I got it from heaven. And everywhere I've been in my life, fire will manifest when I talk about the fire of God because it was imparted into me from heaven. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost right there. I sure you about, whoo. And then God prophesied to me. He said this. He said, you will know that the fire will increase upon your ministry in the days ahead because God will give you a child with a sign of fire. And when Esther was born, he come out of the womb and I saw his red head. And I said, God's given us a red-headed prophet and that's a sign of the fire increasing in our life. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. So here's the deal. You take the ability, what you've been given, You take what you've been entrusted with. I started out. Man, I've got to be done here, but I'm telling you process because, see, people can't handle process. I deal with it. I got a a 16-year-old child. Thinks we can't practice, but let me get off of that. I started on my job running a set of post hole diggers. Well, to me... I wasn't just, I knew I wasn't called to run post hole diggers, but it was where I found myself. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'll run a set of post hole diggers in a way to make this supervisor be blown away at how I can run post hole diggers. Clee, can I run a set of post hole diggers? Catherine wanted to plant some fruit trees out in our yard. If you've ever been to the front of our yard, it's straight, it's straight clay concrete. I threw the hole diggers down there, they jumped back out and sparks was flying off of them. She said, well, we ain't got but five or six to plant. Well, because ministry's made my hands soft now. I'm out there with blisters and bleeding all over the whole day, but I'm still doing it because I love her. You know what I'm saying? Then the lawn man run over one of them. He said, man, I'm sorry about that. I mean, I just, I'm, Lord Jesus, help us right there. I buy a priest a funeral that week because it wasn't about the fruit tree. It was about the hole that I dug out there in the name of the Lord. So what happened? I had to prove myself that I could run a set of hole diggers. I wasn't complaining every day that we had to get out and run hole diggers. But you know what I did on my own time? On my own time, I started studying every piece of equipment we had at that yard. Oh, y'all. While everybody else was just playing, goofing off, I'm studying every piece of equipment. I'm right by the, I'm right by the supervisor. How do we grease this plow? Hey, what, how, when, do you, when do you know how, what, what's the depths that we bury this stuff? You know what I'm saying? Within, t- within 24 months, I'm a foreman running that crew. Why? Because of self-development and the ability to multiply what I've been given. I took a set of post hole diggers and turned them into a foreman of an outside construction crew. 
I didn't start holding the microphone in here. I started in a children's church room. I'm like, man, I preach circles around everybody on the stage. I'm in the children's church room. You know what? That got me five more years of sitting down in the children's church room. And we, and we was in ministry that was broke, man. We had our kids up in the attic with no air conditioning. I was Rovercoming the Faith Dog. Go do that. Willie George program, Rovercoming the Faith Dog. Catherine handed me like five Gatorades, you know what I'm saying, so I wouldn't just fall out in the costume waiting on them coming there. Be Rovercoming the Faith Dog. It all starts somewhere. But what, what, listen to me. How do you be faithful with your gift? You multiply your gift. You start out with just a, just a gift to sing, but now you can preach. Now you can run a business. There's no doubt in my mind, I, I, I do know that my oldest son, ever since he was little, he's always attracted business people in his life. There's a gift of business on his life. I'm not dumb to that. I'll train a child in the way that they should go. I'll put him in that arena. Are you with me now? So what does that mean? I want to look at I want to look at his room and not just see the Outdoor Life magazine. I want to see I want to see books from the greatest CEOs in this land. I know how to eat around the bones. I don't just read from Christian CEOs either. I know how to eat around the bones. I read Robert Iger's book. Why? Because I want to see how that young man went from NBC Sports to operating the great, one of the largest companies in the world called Disney and putting them on the map. I want to see that. Show me how you did that. If I can find one nugget in your life, it'll, I can, if I can just find one nugget off of Robert, Robert Iger's book, it'll help me multiply what God's given me in my life. I'm telling you, don't you sit down another year and wait on somebody to develop you. Get your development tools out and say, God, what have you called me to do? David said it like this. Search me, oh God, and find out what is in me. God, I invite the Holy Spirit to identify some areas in my life. What am I gifted at? And now let me tell you this. Here's another thing about playing baseball. I knew that my son has talent. He does have talent to play baseball. Because here's the thing. But one of the things we did is we didn't put him on a team where a bunch of scrubs were so he could walk around and look like a little stud. I've seen him do some. I mean, he's hit two grand slams in one inning. That don't say how great he is. That tells you the competition we was playing. <laughs> you with me? We beat him so bad in mid-inning, they called time for, us to, for them to take water out to the kids. We was beating that bad. But here's the thing, where we wanted him at on the team is what we searched for, is we wanted him to be about number five on the team. Because I wanted sure three enough donkeys to be around him to make him push higher than where he was at. Do you know the average human being never taps into but only about 10% of their potential? What if you figured out a way to uncap your potential that's on the inside of you and learn how to multiply what you was at? Listen, the key to you making more money is not just praying the heavens open and not trying to look to some get-rich-quick scheme. It's learning how to manage what you've been given. Come on, y'all. Father wants to bless us with stewardship. He wants to identify the gift in your life. He wants to activate the gift in your life. Now he wants to multiply the gift in your life. He wants to identify the gift in your life, activate the gift in your life, and multiply the gift in your life. You with me? How many wants that? Am I the only one? Stand up and we'll pray. This is the same way, this is the same way that we build momentum in the kingdom. You got to get by someone that's close to your proximity that is further down the road than you want to be. 
You want to talk about discipleship. Let's talk about discipleship for a minute. This is a big word. We got to do discipleship. Discipleship. Discipleship we do in small group leaders. Do you know what the word discipleship means? Learner. If there's no passion that ignites learning, there's no discipleship. I don't care if it's a small group or a big group. I ain't never been to, I ain't never had no discipleship group meetings. I had a passion to learn. Man, people get upset with me, I know. So, how do you do it? In NASCAR, they teach you, you ain't got to have the fastest car, but if you can connect to the fastest car, you can use something called a draft to slingshot around that car. You with me? So what I've tried to do is find somebody that was bigger than me, faster than me, deeper than me. I'll never forget the first time I ever seen Dale Young open the Bible. I was blown away at his knowledge. He come to my church and he opened his Bible and blown away. And you could tell the people was burning. Man, we had people burning the page. You could hear the pages just, because that back, you know, now we got a phone. You don't hear nothing. But you could hear the pages just, they were seeing if he was writing the word. He right there. He just working that, working the Bible, just working it. I said, my God, man. I mean, I'm not knocking anything I've been in, but I said, you know, our pastor preached for an hour and a half and give three scriptures. The rest was just filler. Like a hamburger, you're going to get at McDonald's, 3% beef, 97% filler. <laughs> I got to quit. But I said, I, I don't want to be ignorant. And I'm challenging myself to go to the next level. I want to multiply what God's given me. Church, I want you to multiply what God's given you. If God's given you a business, dream for it. Why, why are you going to watch everybody else be successful and you not be successful? Dream for it. Work for it. Plan for it. Father, I bless your people right here with a passion just for knowledge, a passion to learn, a passion to dig deep. Just a passion to pursue the things of God in a deeper way. Lord, I pray for multiplication over the seeds in this room right now in the name of Jesus. I pray for multiplication over the gifting of God that lies within this people right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, help us to be faithful stewards of what you placed in our lives. God, I thank you for the seeds that are in this field right here, bringing them, I mean, coming to maturation. I thank you for the dream that I dreamed with the jet coming in and the dump truck leaving out. I thank you for the poles that I've seen ready to be cast into the deep water right now in the name of Jesus. I prophesy strength and hope and just grace in your life. Father, I thank you that the grace not only saves me, it imparts me, and it imparts to me an empowerment to do what I could not do until you came upon my life. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. Give God a great God bless you. Listen here. Listen here, too, for those that are watching live stream, listen here that on Monday mornings, I meet with a team of intercessors. If you need prayer for anything in your life, whatever it is, if you will email, if you will email me at prayer at sparkswillfly.cc, we'll put, we, we take all of those requests before the Lord on Monday mornings at 10 o'clock. God bless you, friend. Thank you for sowing into the lives of those in Pakistan. We honor Fiaz and, and Amanda for what they're doing. God bless you. We look forward to hearing from you. See you on Wednesday night on the live stream. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.